Welcome back from the holiday. We are doing our monthly webinar series, evaluating cases for permanency exposure in New Jersey. Uh, the third Monday is New York's webinar. The fourth Monday is New Jersey. Two different parts to analyze this issue. When should we know the exposure itself and how is that exposure estimated? In order to figure out this topic, uh, we need to really discuss and analyze those two type issues. As a reminder, although this topic goes a little bit long today, uh, I don't know that I'm gonna have time for questions, but I'll see. Uh, if you have questions, either now or during the, the uh, presentation or even after, uh, please feel free to type the question into that box. Uh, if I cannot get to it in the presentation, I will certainly get back to you by email with an answer to your question. Okay, part one, the when. There's different points uh, during the litigation process where we're gonna sort of be able to figure out uh, exposure and, and, and the estimate of that exposure. The first, for, for purposes of uh, defense counsel, is the intake. We do your legal action plan and we do your budget analysis and based on our file review, uh, we will sometimes give you sort of a very broad range of what that exposure can be. So for example, if we get a file that has all the medical records, treatments may be already done, uh, it's gonna be easy to sort of uh, pinpoint that range of what the injury might be worth. If however, we get a file that doesn't have a lot of medical records yet, it's sometimes hard to sort of pinpoint what exactly has happened in the case and you know that's gonna be a broader range maybe. Uh, as we go through the process of litigation, that range of evaluation is going to be narrowed down by certain things and certain steps. Permanency exams. We talked about this last month during our uh, presentation then about the actual permanency evaluations. Sometimes clients ask us, even before perm evals are done, uh, hey, Joe, what do you think this case is worth? And it is something, again, that we can sort of evaluate based on at least having a copy of the medical records. Uh, after exams, obviously, once we have those permanency exams in hand, uh, and we have the permanency numbers uh, within those reports, certainly an easier way to sort of narrow down the evaluation again. Uh, another way is a conference. Sometimes these cases don't get resolved right away and they go to a conference with the judge and that's another way for us to sort of get input as to what the judge thinks the case is worth. Finally is pretrial at a pretrial hearing uh, or filing a pretrial memorandum, which is if we're going to trial itself, we cannot resolve a case, uh, then there's also a further indication of value. So let me show you how this breaks down essentially the whole process. This is sort of a flowchart that tells you everything from beginning to end. Uh, the first of which is the most important, MMI, has it been reached? That's sort of our, we, we can definitely pinpoint value a little bit better at that point. We know there's no further treatment, there's no subsequent surgery about to come, no further epidural injections, uh, nothing else going on. If we have a fracture, we know the fra you know what the fracture is. If we have a herniated disc with surgery, we know that that's done. That's definitely a stepping point for us to figure out, do we, can we determine value at this point? Another step of this is exams. Do we have exams yet? Permanency evaluations, again, as we talked about uh, last month uh, for the webinar series, they range. We'll, we'll get the permanency evaluation in. It could be, we usually have low numbers, sometimes no permanency at all, and the petitioner's exams usually are very high, and they have very high unreasonable numbers. But again, it's another point for us to sort of evaluate and come up with uh, exposure in terms of relaying that to the client, to the location, so that they can evaluate their claim. And these permanence reports, as I indicated, vary. They're, they're very, very rarely close to one another. There's usually a huge range and a big difference between the reports. Uh, our reports come in as either zero or a low number, two and a half, five percent. Uh, the petitioner's reports tend to come in at a very high unreasonable number, which doesn't reflect reality, in my opinion. Settlement demand, this is a, a, a big point of determining value based on the experience of the attorney sometimes. Very experienced attorneys know what cases are worth and they'll provide a reasonable settlement demand, which will help us sort of narrow down that number. 
There are, however, inexperienced petitioner's attorneys who don't really know the value of a case. So sometimes a settlement demand will come in that's actually lower than the case is worth. Our advice to you is going to be pay that lower amount. Don't pay what the case is worth. Pay what they're demanding because they've demanded less than the case is worth. So we do wait for that demand as sort of a final evaluation to see what this case is worth before we uh, certainly tell you our opinion for, for a final evaluation. Then we begin negotiations. Once we have a demand, we know where they are, we know where we want to be, and then the negotiation starts. And there's all kinds of language used in this. The keywords we're looking for is a demand. We need a demand from the attorney. Uh, we then provide an offer of some kind based on that. Some attorneys uh, will give you their bottom line. They'll tell you what their demand is, but they'll say, but I'll take no less than this. And that sometimes gives you guidance as to how flexible they may be on their end. But again, there's all different negotiating techniques and all attorneys, petitioners, attorneys have different styles about that. What happens when we agree? That's easy. If we agree, we put your case through. It's called a put through. It's just sort of an informal term we use. Uh, we settle your case. This can be done in a number of different ways. If your case is scheduled for a regular list that's already got a hearing date, we can wait to that date, inform the judge that we have a settled case and put through the hearing at that point. Uh, other times, and our clients do prefer this a lot, and we certainly try to do this for them, uh, we do what's called an add-on. If we know a case is settled and the hearing point's not for a month or two away, why wait? Let's see if we can get permission from the judge to add that case onto one of their other lists that we're not normally scheduled for. We show up, the judge gave us permission, put the, through the case then, and our clients get to close those cases out faster on their books. So that is something our clients ask us for. We certainly try and accommodate that. There are a number of factors involved, including the judge permitting it, uh, as well as the availability of the petitioner's attorney and the petitioner. Uh, if the, okay, so a put through is often the same day. If we resolve a case in court, uh, we reach out to one of our clients, they give us authority that day, we convey it to the petitioner, and he has his client on call, we can possibly settle that, that case the exact same day. We could put it through that day, send you the paperwork, showing you that everything's been done. Now, if you can't come to a settlement agreement and it's not put through by a settlement, sometimes we have to conference it with the judge. And I say sometimes because most of these cases we try and just resolve with the attorneys only. We'll try and call them up on the phone, go back and forth till we have a settled case. Once in a while, you're a little bit too far apart on numbers, you can't come to an agreement, and we do have to get the judge's involvement. Uh, in that case, we have what's called a pretrial conference. Uh, we meet with the judge. We show the, show the judge the medical records and the permanency reports. And basically, the judge will place a value on that case, which may or may not help us resolve it. Once we have a pretrial conference, if, you, if the judge's uh, evaluation helps settle the case, you do a put-through and you, you settle that case. What happens, however, if it does not resolve the case? We pretry it. We file what's called a pretrial memorandum. And uh, you guys probably have uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, I apologize about that. Uh, there were just several technical difficulties. It always seems to happen when I do these solo and not when I have somebody else doing the presentation with me. Anyway, uh, back to the charts, we have capped weeks. We have a maximum uh, rates in New Jersey. So if you see for 2017, the maximum weekly rate for permanency is $896. Uh, the, the absolute minimum is $239. So we do have that in New Jersey. Um, we also have, you guys have heard of charts, and these charts contain uh, scheduled lost body parts. So if you've seen the charts, as I think you all have at this point, there's body parts listed across the top. There's percentages listed down the, the side, and I'll, I'll show you actually a picture of a chart in a second. But the scheduled loss uh, uses are individual body parts that are listed, fingers, toes, hand, arm, foot, leg, and eyes. Any of the non-scheduled use uh, body parts, the ones you don't see on this list, 
are considered the partial total category. That would be like a back injury, a neck injury, maybe a shoulder, something like that. Here's a copy of uh, one of the charts. This chart's actually found in my partner, Greg Lois's book. Uh, he provides this. It shows you the body parts across the top, as well as the weeks uh, of value for each of those percentages of permanent disability. Here's another version of the chart. This one's provided by New Jersey manufacturers. Uh, it's available to anybody who asks. Um, they, they have their own version, which lists not only the weeks, but the dollar values. Now, I should make a, a little note of caution here about the charts. And by doing that, I'm going to mention the Oscar Calculations Program. This is both a program you can download onto your computer, or there's a web-based version as well, an internet-based version. Uh, the Oscar Calculations Program is basically what the courts are using in New Jersey now to determine the permanency numbers and the accuracy of those. So there are people who will go back to these charts, and a lot of the petitioners' attorneys uh, still use the charts who are not computer savvy. They're, uh, they don't know how to turn a computer on. They don't know how to use a computer. They don't get it. So they still use these charts to come up with their demand um, and the value of the case. The judges are requiring that Oscar be used to calculate the permanency evaluation number, the final settlement number. Uh, they will, in most cases, require the actual printout that this program will give you to show the calculation was done and to show the actual dollar amount. So this is the thing to go on. This is the thing to use. Uh, although these charts will be referred to, uh, ultimately, the Oscar calculation is the thing that will govern and the thing that the, judge, the judges will follow. And as you can see here, you can literally put in the percentages of the different body parts. Uh, you put in the year of the injury, uh, as well as the weekly wage, because the weekly wage amount will determine the maximum or minimum of the permanency uh, rate. And when you, when you hit next on the bottom there and you go to the next screen, it'll tell you the exact breakdown of the weeks and the rate and everything else with the total of what that uh, perm disability award would be for. Okay, so these are very useful. You should get, you should download this program or, or use the internet-based one uh, as, as quickly as you can. Get used to it because it is something, it's a very useful tool we have to sort of pinpoint exactly what those uh, settlements are going to be worth. And again, the, these settlements, you know, when we look at the permanency reports themselves, it's such a vast range. So you really do need counsel to help you sort of narrow down that range because the permanency doctors are, are sometimes so far apart that there's other factors involved that we need to sort of narrow the range. Okay. Now, what is the actual exposure? Um, let me, I can tell you a couple different things about that. There's a normal range for each type of injury. Sprains and strain cases are worth a certain range of percentage. Uh, a fracture case is worth a certain range. A herniated disc, disc bulge, uh, herniation with surgery, herniation without surgery. All these things do have certain percentage range values uh, that, that your counsel can help you, um, you know, place in that range. Most cases fall within this range, but there are exceptions. Sometimes there's a second surgery, maybe a second surgery to remove hardware from uh, the prior surgery. Other times there's uh, maybe some odd treatment that was rendered, uh, acupuncture or something like that, or something that's just off the normal chart. And by chart, I don't mean the, the charts I referenced before, but um, these ranges vary, vary by venue and judge. So it's not exactly consistent, but there are general ranges we can sort of, you know, uh, pigeonhole these injuries into, but it does vary by venue and judge. And you can see on the, the map we've provided here, and we've used this map in other presentations as well, that red line sort of demarks North Jersey versus South Jersey. South Jersey, when it comes to value of cases, uh, is very petitioner friendly. The value of cases in South Jersey and at the South Jersey hearing points 
tend to be higher than they are in North Jersey. Um, just It's just life. It's something we have to deal with, and we certainly uh, try and do that as best as we can. But it's something we know going into it that, that the judges in South Jersey are going to value these a little bit higher. Uh, the judges, in terms of coming up with their own value, tend to look at the underlying medical records. Um, they also look at the permanency reports. I do want to take a second to make a notation about MRI reports. A lot of times our permanency doctor will review an MRI and interpret the films differently than the radiologist who actually did the MRI. Uh, the petitioner's attorneys will often just agree with whatever's in the MRI report as, yeah, the guy has 380 discs or two bulges or whatever. Uh, the judges tend to read the MRI reports as a straight reading of what it says. They don't, they don't tend to buy into either doctor interpreting it their own way and that, you know, even though the MRI report says there's two variations, that our perm doctor says none and therefore there must be none. They tend to just say, and often in the conferences that we have, what does the MRI report say? How many herniations? How many disc bulges? So they do tend to go by a straight reading of those. And it's just an important uh, side note, I guess, because uh, often our permanency doctors uh, note that they've reviewed the films themselves often, and they don't believe that the herniation as listed in the MRI report is actually there. So it is something sometimes you get an argument about, and sometimes we have to try cases uh, in order to fight about that issue. But it's, it's worth noting the, the difference there. Okay, finally, uh, we've determined um, permanency. We've sort of helped you narrow down what the value of this case is, the role of the various factors we've just discussed. And now we have to look at, is there anything that's going to affect our exposure uh, on this case, uh, other than the PERM numbers themselves and the PERM reports and the medical treatment? And there are a few things that can actually help us, and there's some that can hurt us. Pre-existing disability is something that can help us called the Abdullah Credit, after, named after the case uh, that, that decided this. And Abdullah Credit is a, um, a credit for a prior injury. So, for example, if I have a petitioner who has a herniated disc, uh, maybe L4-5, and I find medical records from a prior motor vehicle accident that he had an L4-5 disc herniation then, or maybe a disc bulge at that time, uh, I'm going to be arguing with the judge that we're not paying for a herniation at L4-5, we're paying just the increase from the bulge to the herniation, which is significantly less in value than paying for a straight herniation that had no prior injury. So uh, what's very important in this category is investigation. Uh, clients often provide us with what's called an ISO report or a match report, listing all the prior claims that this petitioner had based on their social security number, their address, and stuff like that. Um, we, we review those uh, very closely, and then we subpoena any records that we might get as a result of that. We do DMV searches. Uh, the purpose of that is to just to see if on their motor vehicle abstract, if they have any prior accidents. That just gives us a heads up of there's a prior accident here. Let's look into it. Uh, we sometimes serve interrogatory questions asking the uh, petitioner's attorney to reveal information about this prior accident. But we do thorough investigation into these prior accidents because it often results in some kind of credit. Not, not a lot all the time, but at least something. Uh, sometimes you can settle a case for 10% and get a 5% credit. That's pretty significant. So. Uh, it certainly helps. Another issue where you can sort of reduce your exposure is voluntary tender. If you have a case that's um, where someone's pretty seriously injured, maybe they had surgery, um, and you know you're going to be paying permanency on this, it's not going to go away by way of a Section 20 settlement. Maybe our own perm doctors, you know we're going to come back with something other than a zero. You might want to issue what's called a voluntary tender. The voluntary tender has to be issued between the finding of MMI and 26 weeks uh, after that date, it's got to, uh, I'm sorry, it has to be issued within the 26-week time period from MMI forward. 
basically, you, if we know that 5% or 7.5% is definitely something our doctors are going to find, we issue the VT, we pay that 7.5% or 5% ahead, ahead of time, ahead of settlement. The effect this has for you is you get a credit upon settlement. And not only do you get a credit dollar for dollar of what you paid the petitioner, you save on attorney's fees. So, for example, if you have a case that settles for 27.5% and we get a, we issue a VT of 7.5%, you will only pay attorney's fees on 20% at settlement. So it's another way to reduce and save some money uh, and reduce exposure in terms of uh, paying these voluntary tenders. And as counsel, I, I evaluate these cases closely to see, is this an appropriate case for a voluntary tender to issue? Uh, another topic is a Section 40 lien. If something other than the petitioner's own negligence or workplace uh, caused this accident, maybe he was involved in a motor vehicle accident caused by another person, there might be a third-party case. We have Section 40 lien rights, as we discussed in another one of these uh, webinars. Um, we are entitled to reimbursement for medical expenses, temporary disability, and permanency, uh, up to two-thirds minus $750 as a result of that lien. So it's a great way to get most of your money paid back uh, for paying out the workers' compensation benefits. Definitely an issue we need to explore and certainly keep tabs on that third-party case and the status of that as well. Uh, one of the issues that can hurt us in terms of exposure is called stacking. It's based on the case uh, of the same name, which is Pazwiatowski. And essentially it works like this. If you've injured multiple body parts in the same accident, so maybe you have an ankle fracture, uh, you sprained your elbow and you have a herniated disc in your neck. Those are three different body parts and they're subject to stacking. The way you evaluate those is that you look at the weeks that each of those injuries are worth. So we would take each individual injury separately, sort of, you know, pigeonhole it in its range and sort of narrow down what it's worth for that single injury alone. See the weeks of value that it's worth. Do the same thing with the next injury. Same thing with the next injury. But then you wind up adding all those weeks together or stacking them and then finding their dollar equivalent in the partial total category. Uh, this results usually in a much higher uh, award than each individual injury would be worth if there were three separate accidents. So it is something that can reduce you, uh, expose you to increased um, uh, value on these cases. And it's something certainly to look for. Uh, once you have an accident and once you report it to your counsel. Uh, and, and again, as counsel, we will advise you sort of what's going on. We'll give you the estimate as to the individual injuries and then what the stacking will result in. And you'll see that it's, it's often higher than the individual injuries. All right, and the last thing, uh, which we have a separate webinar for that we'll go into detail on this, is just the second injury fund. I'll just say briefly that uh, first you have to have a case where a guy's been totaled out. He cannot work anymore. He's been totaled by the doctors. And now we want to seek contribution for what's called the second injury fund. Is there something other than our accident alone that caused the total disability? Again, investigation becomes really, really important here, uh, finding those prior accidents so that if five different accidents, and, you know, we have the last one and there's four priors, and all those five of those accidents lead to this total disability, we're going to see contribution from the fund to reduce the exposure that you will be paying on that total case. So it's another area to explore in terms of uh, getting you a credit or, or reducing your exposure. All right, uh, I think that's basically everything for the presentation today. I'm very sorry again about the technical difficulties we had. Uh, if you can just send in your questions, it looks like because of some of the technical issues, I might not have time to actually answer them uh, in the webinar, but uh, I will certainly get back to you by email and answer your questions. Please send them. 
uh, if you missed the presentation, you want me to send you copies of the handout again, let me know that. And again, sorry about the technical difficulties. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention is next month's topic. We are doing this again, again in New Jersey on the fourth uh, Monday, which is December 26th, uh, reimbursement and subrogation in New Jersey. This is going to be done probably by myself, my partner, Mr. Lois, Greg Lois, and uh, Mark Packrell, uh, who does our subrogation work in our firm. So we'll be back on the, the 26th. Uh, I don't think I told Mr. Lois that I'm not working that day, but I guess I'm coming back in for the webinar. But uh, I'll be back that day to, to do that presentation for you as well. Okay, I hope this was helpful. Again, sorry about the technical difficulties. And uh, if you have any questions, please email. All right, thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Good luck Cyber Monday shopping.